Hi, my name is Lean Augustinson. And I'm Naomi Clifford. And we'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Door History Podcast. The door. 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 Hello, Naomi. Hello, Naomi. Um, I'm very excited about this conversation because uh, she seems like an extraordinary woman. Louise Michelle. Indeed. She was born 1830, is that right? That is right, yes. In a little tiny hamlet called Roncourt-la-Côte, which it, it is absolutely minute, deep in the countryside. Yeah. But, uh, but yet she has a, a Lambeth connection. She does indeed. She does. How, how does that journey begin even from this little place in France to Lambeth? Uh, well, yes, uh, she certainly got about Louise Michelle, all ends of the earth. But um, at one point in her life, she visited Lambeth workhouse, which we'll come and back and talk to you, uh, talk about in a, in a bit. Um, and she also lived in Lambeth um, and in Southwark, but she lived in various addresses in South London towards the end of her life. And she, she loved London. Mm. So tell me, she, she was born in this little place and was she from a well-to-do family or? No, no, she, well, she, she was in a way, yes, she was. Uh, she was, her mother was a maidservant, um, and we think, well, historians think that she probably was working in the big house in the village, so working for the local gentry, and she became pregnant, probably by the son of the family, um, and then Louise was born, and Louise uh, was her only child, her mother never married anyone else, um, but the family, her father's family, uh, was said to have paid for her education and more or less brought her up. So she she had she was from very humble beginnings, but she also had um, the opportunity for education. Hmm. So a little bit unusual for a, 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 ch a woman, a girl child at that point in time, I guess. From, Certainly, from that yeah. A woman whose mother was a maidservant would not generally be educated um, beyond the most basic level. You know, girls are not regarded as suitable material for education. Yeah, and I guess that that made her being able to work, maybe? Uh... Yes, I mean, when, when she was a young woman, she worked as a teacher um, oh. fairly locally to where she was born. And uh, she got the sack a few times for being Why? radical. So oh. she, was, she was thinking about radical ideas from really quite an early age. Um, it was mostly what in- What did you do? <laughs> do we know what she did? <laughs> well, um, she, one of the things she did is she wrote a, a children's story uh, uh, set in Roman times and uh, this was seen as a comment on the emperor, oh. uh, Louis Napoleon, Napoleon III. Yeah. 
and she uh, she taught the children to sing the Marseillaise, which was seen as a very revolutionary, incendiary um, uh, thing. And you know, and really at this time, education was run by the church. So yeah. uh, if the church didn't approve of you, then you know you were out. So she was sacked, and she tried various sort of private tuition routes, but eventually. She went to Paris to but Montmartre. Just put put it in context for me. This uh, this period in France, then. So you had the emperor, yes, uh, uh, Napoleon, who who was quite uh, uh, what like a dictator. Well, I, I see him as a kind of Trumpian figure, uh, mm. in that he was very self important and he had an inflated idea of his talents. Yeah. Um, and he was, he, he established himself as emperor in 1852 in a, in, in a very unpleasant way, it was quite a lot of bloodshed. Yeah. And he, um, he wanted to be more of an authoritarian figure, mm. um, even though he was emperor. So, he, yeah. yes, so he was essentially a dictator. And he was yeah. very much supported by the right, of course, the conservative right. But Paris was different in that you had more uh, uh, sort of people who were more free thinking or? Yeah, there was much more of a mix there. I think it's particularly um, Louise Michel working in Montmartre would come up uh, across a lot of different um political philosophies sort of broadly left uh, you know a collection of different ways of being left-wing um mm. and certainly you know ideas were floating around and, and talk of rebellion and socialism and um, that kind of thing with yeah she would have had a lot of influences from different directions yes and she she also was very uh, like you were saying she wrote a children's book but she did a lot of writing she was a poet. She, so was, she was so really, prolific, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess in Paris was the place to, to get all of these various influences and uh, inspiration and, and yes. also, I guess, action. Yes, and she, she ran her own school in Montmartre for the children mm. of workers and she ran it along her own line. So she was very much, her, her education philosophy was to let children learn through play, which was yeah. the antithesis of French thinking about education uh, and has, you know, has been for a long time. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 uh, they, they thought learning by rote was, was the way to go and they couldn't really understand why she had animals in the classroom and why she allowed children with special needs to be educated alongside and everyone else, you know, she, they, they were quite, um, yeah, very they radical. Were quite radical ideas, yeah. Yeah, for that time, I mean, we are talking mid, well, maybe latter part of 19th century, mm. know, but even so, that's, uh, that, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I think, well, I think she was, and, you know, she, she was uh, very self-confident about about her ideas, and she had a lot of success. Her, her, her children absolutely adored her, and um, 
yeah, I think she, I, I think she gave a lot, and she uh, was given a lot of of um, uh, approval back. She was, yeah, yeah, she was very popular, and she also did a lot of work on local committees. And, and, and in, in France, she is very well known as a uh, as as a um, as a person, isn't she? Uh, and in Paris, she's very uh, sort of uh, well signed for, uh, if I understand it right. Yes, uh, streets and schools and squares named after her. She's yeah, she's a well known figure, but she's scarcely remembered here. But um, that is not for her uh, sort of uh, contribution in education. Is it? It's uh, for something different. It well, it's uh, uh, she is largely known, I suppose, in France for her actions during the Paris Commune and her life off after that. Yeah. Could, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I I know very little about the Paris Commune. Well, um, I, I yes, I can skate through it quickly. A little. Um, a little Just tour of it. Yeah. Um, oh, I think we start with the Franco-Prussian War of 1870, which uh, the Emperor, Napoleon III, who we've just mentioned, he was more or less manipulated into it um, by Otto von Bismarck, who uh, saw it as part of his <clears throat> grand scheme to create this war and out of it he was going to build the, the um, German unification. So he, he provokes Napoleon into declaring war on Germany, on Prussia essentially. Uh, Prussia invades, they have some battles which France loses badly and at the yeah. time uh, France was expected to win but they made a number of poor decisions and um, they lost at the Battle of Sedan and really essentially it was all over and Prussians uh, encircled Paris. Yeah. Then you get the Paris siege which was a time of terrible suffering for the people of Paris Yeah. because they thought this siege would only last say you know couple of months and in fact it lasted five months and people die, started dying of starvation at the end. Um, okay, so after great. five months the French government gave in yeah. to the Prussians and this made the people of Paris, particularly the working class district who had really really suffered and also given so much, they had um, collected money for cannon and this and that, so they felt that they'd sacrificed so much, all for nothing. They'd been betrayed by the government. And um, so talk started uh, of, of a, a commune, um, but it, it waited. It wasn't until there was a sort of a pinch point, a conflagration that um, things really started moving. Mm. And Louise Michel was, right in the middle of it. Okay. So what, was there a, a sort of crunch point at some point? Yes, I mean, it, it was uh, on her doorstep in Montmartre yeah. one morning. Mm. And um, the 18th of March, in fact. Uh, 
1871. Um, Montmartre had custody of these cannon and uh, the government sent soldiers to seize them. Um, the people of Montmartre and other working class districts, they thought that um, the government could potentially use these weapons against them. And also they felt they had paid for them, you know, so why, why should it, uh, why should they be in the control of the government? Yeah. Um, so these soldiers were seen on the hill taking these cannon away. The alarm was raised by women leaving the house early in the morning to get bread. Uh, they saw this happen. And then yes, the church bells in the district started ringing and Louise Michelle got up and put on her, her uniform of the National Guard, took up her mm. rifle. She was very unusual in that she was an a, a, a woman who was armed and in the yep. National Guard. Um, and so she was on that hill. Yes. Trying to stop these cannon being seized with a lot of other people. And they started talking to the soldiers who were seizing them. And it was, uh, a, they, they started, they talked. So there was a conversation. So it wasn't a violent, though yeah. somebody was shot, but um, it, it wasn't a terribly violent situation. No. no. Until the afternoon when things got very hot and a couple of, of um, generals were shot. Mm. And really after that, the government ordered its whole administration to leave Paris mm. and operate from Versailles. And that a few days later, the commune was declared. I see, okay. And then the commune was there for a long while or how did it? No, only a matter of weeks, 10 weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, about 10 weeks. It was um, very short-lived. Uh, you know, they hastily they achieved a few things. Uh, you know, they they um, achieved a lot, but it, it wasn't sustained after the commune fell. They yeah. they did some interesting things. They they banned capital punishment and they. Um, forgave rents during the siege there was a sort of rent amnesty mm. and that was about to end but the, you know they restored that they stopped child labor they 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 did various um things to help the quality of life yeah. of, of the working Pro class very progressive and was this well obviously uh, i guess marxism wasn't happening yet no uh, but this was some sort of socialist ideal well, they, they, they were not united in their political philosophies, as I understand it. There were lots of people who um, thought one thing, another other group of people think another thing. It was all broadly left. Mm. And, you know, the government was, I think it was a third working class, working people, and the, the other yeah. two thirds were, I would say, a sort of middle class bourgeois, and they were called friends of the people. Yeah. Um, so you've got lawyers and journalists and people like that. Um, yeah. But they hardly re really had time to er erect all their sort of the, the administrative structures and get going no, before no. it all ended. 
Yes, and how did it end? Well, uh, they they were cut off, uh, you know, just like the, it's often called the second siege of Paris. Mm. But what happened is really they didn't they didn't have enough um, of strength to keep the government troops out, and they were not really um, defending themselves. Uh, efficiently and more the government troops more or less walked in through one of the gates and yes. took over then spread through the city and took over they had their eye off the ball unfortunately yeah, but I, I don't think they could ever have won really because the rest of France there were sporadic sort of rebellions in support of the commune but the rest of France wasn't going with them what, what happened to Louise uh, well, she fought on the barricades, um, yeah. and she was commanding men, again, highly unusual, yeah. uh, and she eventually um, was left for dead in a trench, she was wounded, and she managed to get up, and she went home, and she found that her mother, who she absolutely adored, her mother had been taken hostage, so that was for her a no-brainer. She went off to the police station and handed herself in and she was arrested and sent to prison. Oh, okay. Terrible. Terrible. And one of the most terrible things about it was the journey from Paris to the prison, which was in Versailles, um, women's prison. There many more men were arrested and sent to prison than women. The women were a distinct minority. Um, but they seem to have attracted a great deal of hatred and oh. um, dis, dis, disapproval by the authorities. They were seen as much worse, partly because women were blamed for the massive fires in Paris okay. at the end of the commune. And um, really, I suppose, you know, she's lucky that she survived because so many didn't. There was yeah. terrible bloodshed in the streets, you know, bodies piled up. Uh, but she went to prison and eventually she was tried and sentenced to hard labour in New Caledonia, which is in Polynesia. Because that was French in those days, I guess. Yeah, that was yeah. part of the um, empire, the French empire. Yeah. And uh, what happened to her there? Was it hard labour? And Yeah, it, it was. It was hard labour. She continued to be quite rebellious and she oh. uh, she got involved with the local uh, population, the Kanaka, and oh, really? um, they, were, they were not happy under French rule, so I think she gave them a bit of support. I'm not quite sure how she did that, but she was certainly oh. involved in it. And um, yeah, That's I mean, that was a, supposed a, to be for life. Yeah. Oh, I see. To be there. Yeah. She admitted all the crimes that she was charged with and asked for the death penalty in court. But she got deported instead. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they didn't want to make and a cause martyr. Trouble where she, and caused trouble where she... Yeah. <laughs> That's good for her. She sounds amazing. She, I think the force of her personality is quite astonishing. Yeah. She Yes. But she was also, you know... Um, she was also a very considered person and 
you know, she, given to writing poetry and novels and a lot of stuff. She's very prolific. But I was thinking now when she is in Polynesia, she's actually, she's getting very close to 50, I think, because uh, she was, yeah. you know. She, she came back in 1880, so she was 50 then. Yeah. Um, she came back she came because back the government, France. yeah, she came back to France because the government had an amnesty. It was slightly less right-wing government, Republican government now because uh, Napoleon had been given his marching orders when he lost the war. Um, so they declared the Third Republic and um, by 1880, the government was keen to forget everything about the commune. So yeah. what they wanted is for people to come back and you know, there was um, there were media, there was a media blackout really um, on the commune and uh, people were pardoned. So the exiles in London came back and the, yeah. um, the banished like Louise Michel in Polynesia, they were allowed to come back to. Okay, and was she then behaving and didn't cause any trouble when she get back to Paris and uh, became a model citizen? <laughs> <laughs> well, she never failed to cause trouble to the French government and she was always under surveillance. Um, so she just continued on the things that she felt were important. Yes. And um, by 1883, she was involved in uh, setting up a shelter for exile. So people who stayed on in London and exiled anarchists from all over Europe. Uh, she was- Can I ask sure. you then, was she an anarchist? At, at she was, point? she didn't say she was an anarchist during the commune, but she did say that later. Mm. Um, so she, in 1886, she was arrested on a march and the, that was, um, I think it was 1886. Mm. Uh, that was when she, uh, a black flag was carried for the first time, that's sort of association between the black flag and anarch yeah. anarchism uh, was made. So um, and she was arrested on that march and imprisoned oh again again yes uh and she was sentenced to six six years but she only did three okay but in 1883 she was she made a, a week-long visit to london and uh, are we now coming to lambeth we are yes so she was at, she was in london she was trying to set up this shelter for which you could read in a hostel perhaps um for exiled anarchists and political uh, people who are broadly on the left and so at, at uh, while she was here in london she came down to lambeth to see how the workhouse was run because that is a place that housed people who were in need and you know, I think she wanted to see what was happening anyway, and you know how Britain treated its poor, and also how a big institution like that would work, and how it would provide care. 
Yes. I see. So she um, was in, sorry. Was she impressed by what she saw here? Well, she was and she wasn't. Um, uh, Frances Lord, who was on the board of guardians, was, um, she, she felt, from what Louise Michelle said, she felt that she'd got a big tick, you know, well done. And Louise Michelle afterwards saying, well, it wasn't quite that, said it wasn't quite that simple. And, uh, but, but she was, you know, she was, she took note of the fact that Britain, it was written into law that the poor were to be taken care of in some way. In France, there was no safety net whatsoever. You could throw yourself on the charity of the church, yeah. or if you had no money at all, you could be rounded up and sent to a sort of work factory to do hard labor and earn your keep. I mean, there are some similarities to a workhouse, but it was apparently so bad in there that people mm. would do almost anything not to be sent to a French, French institution like that. Yeah. So um, um, a mixed bag, but she did, she did, fall in love a bit with London though didn't she she loved London and she I mean she certainly was impressed with some of the things that she saw in Lambeth mm -hmm. um, she went down to the old Vic oh, yeah. um, to see what was happening there and there, there was Emma Cons presenting education for the working classes and yeah. um, she walked around the corner to Emma Cons Sort of social housing that she set up and she was seeing how working people were being housed and um, in, in decent conditions. So she was impressed with that. And Lambeth Workhouse, she could see that it was very well run and it was, you know, it had compassion in its, um, yeah. in its attitude, but uh, it, it was still quite an oppressive institution. Yeah, well, I, I, I find it as a Lambeth, Lambeth person, I find it fascinating to think that Emma Cons and Louise Michel met. And, and, and here are these two women who are actually making a profound difference for working people meeting and and sort of talking ideas i guess yes and i, and I wonder i wonder how they communicated i you know if, if emma Korn spoke french or i guess uh, louise michelle spoke english or she did speak english i think it, her english improved as as the years went by and certainly when she later came to live in south london it got a lot better yeah. Um, she delivered her while she was here in that for that week in 1883. She delivered yeah. lectures, but they were in French. Mm. Uh, Frances Lord, who was accompanying Louise Michel, she mm. may have spoken French and done a bit of translation. Is the way I think it probably happened. Yeah. Uh, Emma Cons, I think, is interesting as well in that she also came from quite humble background um yes yes she came from a working family didn't she and she um she more or less educated herself yes 
but I, I think that for that gender, there is in this period in time, quite formidable women who are doing extremely good uh, uh, social, you know, doing very hard work socially for women's rights, but also for just social justice, like Emma Cons, and it seems as well, Louise Michelle. And, yes. Uh, I, education, how important that is in order to lift people up. I think it's uh, is crucial, really. And, um, you know, no wonder Louise Michelle felt so strongly about it because the situation in France for women was so bad mm. with education. And one of the things about the commune was that it freed education from its tie to the Catholic Church. Yes. Um, but of course, that was very short-lived. But but then, what what surprises me is that I've heard that she was she was sort of not fighting for women's suffrage, and that that to me seems strange when she was so passionate for equality and social justice. Do you do you have any explanation on that? I would say that at that time in France, that it wasn't seen as a priority. There was so much work to do in terms of social justice generally, just getting people fed and uh, getting wages into a place that was, you know, to make a living wage. There was, there was so much to do that my understanding is that she felt it was something that would come with revolution, you know, proper big revolution. Yeah. But it just, uh, but it would have to wait. You know, they had to do other things first. It's not that they, she was opposed to it. No. It was just that the tasks ahead were so enormous that it wasn't at the top of, of the list of priorities. I see. Well, it, is, mean, it is weird to us now, you know, as women to look back and think yeah. of that. But I guess if you don't, if you can't feed your children. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, your priority, you'd rather, yeah. rather get some bread than mm. go feed your children with a vote, can you? Mm. Mm. But I, I mean, she seems amazing. She seems like such an amazing woman with so many aspects. Mm. And I you know, this sort of idea of her wearing a uniform and rushing up the hill in her 40s mm. to fight. Uh, and then her love for her mother and for uh, the kids that she was teaching. And I, I believe she liked animals as well. Is that oh, right? she was a great, great animal lover. And yeah. um, even on the trip um, home from New Caledonia, she uh, she managed to get five, smuggle five cats aboard, and um, in fact that boat stopped at London very briefly. And she had a quick meeting with some of her political um, allies and uh, old friends, really living in London. And she made them take the five cats. Um, wow. But she, you now know, when she was yeah. When she now was we teaching, know why she came back. Yeah. Uh, when she was teaching, she had animals in the classroom. She had the snake and, and I can't remember exactly what, but um, so she taught the children kindness and compassion through caring for animals, which I think is 
you know, it's, it's before it's time in a way. She was, yeah, she was a very compassionate person. Yeah. And she was also a fantastic networker. So she would talk to anyone who invited her, say, you know, she was invited to go to, to see the workhouse at Lambeth. Off she went. She, she, she wasn't fussed about um, the political affiliations of anyone that she talked to. Yeah. And she would be prepared to talk do do more or less anything if it if it advanced her cause which was really social justice and education for women in the end that's what it boiled down to it's uh, we have nowhere in london do we where we commemorate her no not no i don't think so um she as we said at the beginning she was uh, she, she's not remembered very well here it's a shame no. and she, her bicentenary is coming up in 2030 so mm. it would be nice to think that somebody could organize perhaps perhaps a, a plaque or something or perhaps on one of the houses where she lived in yeah. south london um but also there's no uh, there's no recent biography in English of, of her. It, it, uh, it strikes me that 2030 might be a time when someone could really take a look at her life and assess it and um, bring her to the attention of the public. People will look at her life, uh, you know, in different ways because different eras have different preoccupations, don't we? Mm, mm. And I think would be interesting to find yeah. out more about her from the perspective that we have mm -hmm. maybe yes uh, you know or yeah in now so mm -hmm. to speak mm -hmm. i guess quite a lot of it is is a bit old maybe yes i think it's she's right for a reassessment mm. really yeah it would be great if someone would do that well thank you so much well, thank Naomi, you for, for teaching me a little bit about her and i'm i think it's fantastic that she actually was here in london um, yeah yeah she yes she i mean she lived in london from for at least about 10 years on and off she would go back and visit france and she lived to a ripe old age. She was 75, which for the time was really quite elderly. Um, but Sadly, yeah. she, didn't, she didn't experience any revolution, I guess. Not after the commune, but she, was, she did know about the revolution in Russia in 1905. And oh, she yeah. apparently got out of her sick bed and danced around the room. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Door Podcast. Please like us on social media, Twitter or Instagram at The Door Podcast. Or subscribe to us. You'll find all our various platforms on our website, thedoorpodcast.com. That's all from us. See you next time. Bye. Bye.